you do. Mr. Carl Emily Fields, it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Avast me hearties, heave to and prepare to be boarded. In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a blasted dope. Bring your pool, your oil, and your rope. And try not to go down in a heap to Davy Jones' locker. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. There at the top of the show you heard something new, and that's for two reasons, I guess. One, I just discovered this morning that Anchor deleted my library of segments before like January 14th, 2020. So, poof, there goes my theme song and a bunch of the Thundar sound bites that I had stored, and other things, too. Ugh. So I re-recorded my theme song with a pirate accent in honor of uh, the guest who joins me today, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, because he did a, a whole episode speaking like a pirate on uh, Speak Like a Pirate Day. So... We got together a couple days ago and recorded via Zoom a conversation about the next Universal Monster movie that we had promised long ago and never did, and that you can bl- uh, place the blame entirely on on my part there. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. There's, be warned, there's um, some confounding of names with characters and uh, even characters within one another, because it is a little bit confusing. So sometimes we refer to a character by the by the character in the movie, sometimes by the the actor who plays the character. And because they change the name uh, of the main character, Victor Frankenstein in the book, to Henry Frankenstein, and then introduce a secondary character named Victor. <laughs> it just makes things kind of confusing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, be warned. It's a couple of uh, older gentlemen who uh, maybe don't have the strongest of memories anymore. <laughs> well, I can only speak for myself. Uh, and there's also some uh, probably irritating clinking noises as I periodically... Uh, lift my glass with ice and uh, it gets picked up on the mic so 
Sorry about that. But without further ado, here's uh, me and Jason talking about Frankenstein. Enjoy. He's just resting, waiting for a new life to come. So, hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Down in the Heap. Um, it's been a long time since we've done this, but we're talking about the guy that took a year and a half to do a deep dive into a 128-page rule set BX. But uh, we t- we scratched the surface and talked about Dracula. And now Jason Connerly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast has graciously agreed to join me again to talk about the next Universal monster movie, Frankenstein. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back, Rob. I'm really excited to talk about this. This, I, I guess it still is, but this was definitely my favorite as a kid, Frankenstein. I, I can remember renting this on Betamax, <laughs> going, to, <laughs> going to my aunt and uncles in the summer, and they had a little video store near them. They were in De- rural Delaware. And, um, but they had a Betamax player and, and we would, a little gas station had some, you know, films you could rent. And, and this was one of the ones we rent, rented over and over and over. And, cool. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I actually, I think the first of the universal monster movies I ever saw was creature from the black lagoon. And that might be why it remains one of my favorites. Um, but Frankenstein is definitely, um, I don't know. It's, that or the mummy are my two favorites from the from the series, and Boris Karloff is my favorite actor from the series. In fact, I named the first D and D character I ever rolled up. I named Boris in uh, honor of Boris Karloff. So Boris the Elf. <laughs> I don't think I ever played Boris the Elf, but he's the first character I ever rolled up a BX Elf. Um, you, you know, that's a almost funny because. Because Boris Karloff wasn't a real tall guy or a real big guy. No. You know, they build him up for this role. You, you know, yeah. he was shorter than Clive. Um, shoot. What was his last name? I don't have all the names. Of Colin, Colin Clive? Was, that was it Colin Clive or Clive Clive? Anyway, he was shorter than the gentleman that played Frank, Victor, or well, Henry Frankenstein. Is Henry version. Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Colin Clive. Yeah. He was actually, um, Karloff was shorter than, than, than Clive was. They, yep. they put him in those, those boots and all the stuff. And yeah. Yep. They put him in those Gene Simmons boots. And uh, yeah, those boots <laughs> were 13. Light. They were 13 ba- pounds each. <laughs> oh my God. No, no wonder he lurched around. And did well, he they had, have some kind of rig um, that, that stiffened his frame and stuff too? And he could actually kind of lean forward in those boots and stuff too. And uh, they did. They were designed so he could kind of lean forward. And, they, but all this was super heavy. And he, this was like his first. He was in a lot of roles before this, but this is the role that really made Boris Karloff. Yeah. And yeah. he was kind of a starving act, like literally a starving actor up to this yeah. point. And, and he was physically, he, well, he, he missed the premiere of this cause he needed back surgery and imagine back surgery in the thirties. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about it's bad today, but imagine back then, and we'll get to that probably when we talk about the end of the movie, maybe what caused the back surgery, but yeah. so he was physically not crippled, but, but he he suffered physical, you know, back injury and stuff for the rest of his life from filming this role. Yep. Yeah, it took a lot out of him. And uh, I mean, the makeup uh, by Jack Pierce is, you know, outstanding, especially given the the period and stuff. Um, 
And it's become, of course, the iconic look of Frankenstein because the, I mean, we'll talk about, well, let's talk about it now. The, the, the film obviously doesn't follow the, the book by Mary Shelley right. uh, very, very closely. I mean, it, it has the, the general themes and stuff, but there's a lot of, a lot of things that where it diverges and where the film has actually become, I think in, in pop culture become more of the archetypes and iconography of Frankenstein is almost derived more. And maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not uh, a surprise that a visual medium would, would have more of a lasting impact, but, but the, the hunchback assistant, the, the electrical equipment uh, in the laboratory going off and the, the storm brewing for the creation scene and, and Karloff's uh, appearance and stuff. Those are all kind of the, what people think of, or at least people of our generation think of when we think of Frankenstein. I don't know, maybe other people who saw like uh, the De Niro of Frankenstein first or something. I don't know. But uh. no, I feel bad for those people. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah, there's no question. Um, now, a lot, a lot of the things in this movie, though, where there's no, I, I don't think there's any question that more people have seen this film than have read the book. Yes. More, more people alive today, let's say, have, yeah. have seen the film. Uh, but the film takes a whole lot from plays that were done in the, in the late 1890s, early 1900s. You know, Edison made a, a Frankenstein. I don't know if you've ever seen Edison's Frankenstein. No, I haven't. Oh, it's on YouTube, the whole thing. Yeah, you can watch or what, oh, what, what footage there is. Yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. interesting. It's actually not bad considering mm -hmm. it's like 1910. Um, but this takes a lot from the the play. So things like, you know, the I think the assistant came in during the well, the assistant I know came in during the play. Yep. The name was changed from Victor. He's Victor Frank signed the book. He's changed to Henry in the play. Um, and that's and, possible and because got, of post World War One. They don't and that like you know this isn't Germany in the film because right. it's this is this might be the first nondescript universal Eastern European, you know, country that they use um, yeah. but the what was it? oh well with and like with the assistant the reason they bring the assistant in because in the book he doesn't have an assistant right but you can't on film and, and on the stage i guess you could do inner monologue on the stage but really you need to talk to somebody explain yeah, your you plans need... to somebody and that's why the assistant's there yep and i read too that that fritz the assistant not igor igor right. comes later in the, in the yep. series but uh but Fritz in the plays was mute and they, and they uh, obviously in the, in the James Whale uh, production, he, he has a speaking role. It's, it's uh, Dwight Fry from, from Dracula who played Renfield and in Dracula, he plays the assistant Fritz. And, and I guess there's a, another corollary, what you're saying here too, where it's derived from a screen, uh, a, uh, a stage production uh -huh. and much like Dracula as well. Uh, the script came from, from a stage production rather than actually taking it directly from the novel. So, right. So and, both and of these are, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's right. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and Frye will return as the assistant in, in later films as well, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Um, this same year, I know I've asked you this before and this is a little bit of a tangent. I apologize. Did, did have you seen the original Maltese, the thirty-one Maltese Falcon? Yes. Dwight Fry's in that. 
he, he's really? a gun, yeah, he's a gun soul in that. In, in that, he's the gun soul in that. I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch it. I haven't watched that one for a long time. Yeah, but, but. Dwight Fry is in a lot. He pops up in very interesting places. Huh. Yeah. And he, when he died, he was working as a, I think, an airplane mechanic or something during the war, and uh, and died. Base. It sounds like he died from exhaustion. It's like because he was trying to maintain his his uh, movie career and pull a shift, you know, or probably a, a extended shift um, building airplanes. I think I think it was for Boeing or something, but. Probably, you know, helping in the war effort. Well, like everyone else, you know, or so many people were during the war. So, right. The um, I, there's something else. Oh, I know what else I want to say about the, the the other interesting thing they did in the play that they do here, and they kind of try to do in the Hammer movies, but I don't think the Universal movies played this aspect up after this movie was in the play. From what I understand, they played up more of the idea that the monster is like a dark image of of Frankenstein. So of, of the we can't call him Dr. Frankenstein because he was never a doctor because he dropped out of school. Right. He never right. actually got his <laughs> PhD. He, yep. So but but uh, but so Henry and the and the monster, uh, he, he never he was never called Adam in the movie. So he's just the monster. But so mm-hmm. so Henry and the monster kind of like like dark. It, not Jekyll and Hyde per se, but they're like dark images of each other, right? Mm-hmm. And they play, and in the plays, I guess what they did is the actors would, for like for a few weeks or a few months, they play one role and then they'd switch. So the, oh. the Frankenstein and the monster role, mm-hmm. and they'd switch back and forth. So they play both roles. And you kind of see in this film, and especially like there in the windmill at the end with the the wheel or the mill, whatever it is, that mm-hmm. wheel. And like, you see the two of them looking at each other. Yep. There, there, there are places in this film where you can see they're doing that aspect, like, you know, of each other. Sure. But the, I don't think universal played that up after this, but no. <clears throat> and of course in the, in the, um, in the book too, the monster was very verbose. Uh-huh. And, and in this first installment of Frankenstein, Boris Karloff doesn't have any, lines it's yeah. um i mean it's he has vocalizations but it's mainly pantomime that he does and um and he's great at it i mean it's uh he has a great acting performance in this i think i think most of the acting in this is quite good i mean you see like we talked renfield or um Dwight fry is a carryover from dracula but also edward van sloan comes over and it plays dr waldman um you've got colin clive who James Whale kind of handpicked him and May Clark, his uh, love interest, Elizabeth. Uh, they both were on films that James Whale did before Frankenstein. Um, what are they? Waterloo Bridge. And I can't remember the other one now. Uh, it's going to haunt me. Anyway, um, uh, Colin Clive, I, I thought, I mean, he's. Uh, He's got a, a a voice that's very distinctive and resonant, and especially in the the iconic "It's Alive" sequence, uh-huh. um, he just kind of knocks that one out of the park with his kind of maniacal ravings and stuff. It's uh, and, and for yeah. supporting actors, you have like Frederick Kerr as the Baron Frankenstein, who's. Mm-hmm. He's a small part, but I love his the the performance he brings to the Baron. I I just love that yeah. that role. 
the um, and, and I'll tell you who's really good in this that I think is much better than in the bride is um, Michael Mark who plays Ludwig little Maria's father, the, the father oh, of the yeah. girl. He's really mm-hmm. good in this and he'll return to the series later. Actually, he later on, he's in, um, what's he in? He's in, he's in a number of the other movies. He's in like, he's in son, son of Frankenstein. He's in house of Frankenstein. And then he's in a personal favorite of mine, which is not a universal movie, but Roger Corman's wasp woman. Oh, wasp woman. <laughs> he's, he's in that, but yeah. But he, um, but he does a really great job as her father in this, I think. Uh, yeah. But the the Baron Frankenstein just brings a animation to that role, and just and he just inhabits that aristocracy kind of landed aristocracy thing yep. just perfectly. You know, yep. it's got a sweet smoking jacket and like uh, chapeau and stuff, and uh, yep. sports a huge pipe. He's a wine snob. He's got yeah. it all. Yeah, he does. He's. I. I really like his performance. I. I think he's really good. I like the Burgermeister in this one too. I. I, I always yeah. love the Burgermeisters in these movies. I think that's such yeah. a, such a great. <laughs> yeah, you. And it's funny that you. I mean, so this this whole kind of like uh, Germany, not Germany, kind of mm-hmm. setting that they have. I mean, obviously the names Fritz and Burgermeister and Frankenstein and Victor, because there's a, even though. Frankenstein's name isn't Victor Frankenstein. It's Henry Frankenstein. There's a, a person who's kind of a love interest, kind of a, forms the third leg of a love triangle yeah. with Elizabeth uh, named Victor. And he's by John Bowles, I think is the actor's name. Yes, and, John uh, Bowles plays Victor Mortson. Yeah, he's kind of a, yeah, he's trying to horn in on on Henry's fiance yeah, the, there a little bit that's the very first scene with elizabeth he makes his intentions known that and right um and elizabeth kind of keeps him at arm's length but uh um but then later on too um frankenstein almost acknowledges this mm-hmm. by saying i i put her in your care you know if, if anything happens to me um, right so i yeah, maybe so, before or, i'm sorry yeah, I, I don't know where you guys there were a couple of segue, but go ahead. Oh, uh, well, were we going to nope. say into the film or something away from them? Or? Nope. By all means, go ahead. Oh, what, well, the reason I say is because there were a couple of things I wanted to hit before we actually got in, mm-hmm. into the, the film itself. Um, casting wise and, and even director wise, you know, Lugosi was the first choice. Right. They wanted Lugosi to play the monster and he didn't want to do it. And there's stories why, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe Pockful may not be. But and then. um Flory, I I didn't write his name down, but the director of the Murders of the Room Org was going to be the director, and then but he and Lugosi were given direct, the Murders of the Room Org as consolation for not doing this. Yep. Um, the other thing I have note noted here, and this will probably come up, but you know this along with Dracula really laid the foundation for for the horror film, the modern horror film, yep. Dracula for your monster tale, and this is your cautionary tale, your moral tale. Right. Yep. This this wasn't the first cautionary tale in film by by any means, but I I think this is the one that your your other horror movies build off of. Really, yep. you you see the because because you really feel the, like you mentioned the the makeup and and, and the acting and and Karloff is able to the the what's so great about Jack Pierce's makeup here and I think this is probably the best monster makeup of all these movies by far is you can you can really see Karloff's acting through the makeup. 
mm-hmm. you know, and whether it's, and even like with his hands and his gestures, but mm-hmm. with his face, the makeup is designed in such a way you can really, really see what he's doing. You know, and he does a great job with it. Yeah. And it, it from my, I read uh, something that Karloff had a, um, a dental plate that he'd take out and was able to kind of, he was already pretty gaunt, but he was able to kind of suck in that side of his face to make him even look more corpse-like or whatever. So he had more kind of like a sunken appearance because of that. So, yeah, it was, he he did a great job, Um, but okay. Now that I've ruined your segue, go ahead. (laughs) No, no. So, yeah. So this was, uh, uh, filmed in 1931, same year that D- Dracula was released. And uh, um, as we said, James Whale was tapped to be the director. Uh, it uh, it picks up right with uh, in the graveyard scene where where Frankenstein and uh, Fritz, his assistant, are are observing a burial. And I, I love the the grave digger they make a they have this it's it's not real long but it's probably about a minute where they just show after after the mourners leave and frankenstein and fritz are kind of waiting with bated breath to be able to get at the body but they show this extended sequence of the grave grave digger like spitting in his hands filling in the grave patting it down you know like hardening it with the back of his shovel lighting a match and having a smoke and then he walks off you know and then they have at it, but it's almost like that sequence really like a, like cements the fact that this is a dead body that they're digging up. You know, it's not just, um, an everyday kind of thing or something, but, uh, so they, they exhume the corpse. Um, during that one thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of things in this movie. They're really symbolic. Mm-hmm. And one of those is during that scene, that first shovel of dirt. So um, Henry Frankenstein, Clive also helps dig, dig the body up. And yep. in the first shovel full of dirt he throws, he th- there's a Grim Reaper statue there in the background. And yep. he throws the dirt right in the Grim Reaper's face. Like, oh, right. You know, yep. that, that's, you know, very symbolic as in he's going to conquer death. And, you, you yep. know, so. Yep. And that Grim Reaper statue, too, is almost. This this feel of this like faux European setting where it's Germany, not Germany. It there no one speaks with an accent except for mm-hmm. Waldman, and that's because it's Victor or uh, um, uh, Van Sloan playing it, who who has an accent, and he calls in one scene. He calls Frankenstein Herr Frankenstein, and he calls Elizabeth Fraulein, but that's really the only German in it. But there's also there's no like. Aside from the uh, laboratory crazy stuff, there's no like telephone or telegraph or trains or any kind of like modern. With one stuff. exception, is there is there is no, there a car? No, not really. No, in fact, you see carts. In fact, they load the, the they load the coffin on a, on a cart if yeah. I remember right. And when they capture, or no, I'm think I'm thinking of the bride where they capture the monster, but the but. That was my only note about um, Clark was that she looked too contemporary. Yeah. I think for her, I think her look, I think everything had that kind of nondescript late 19th century look, but I think she looked too contemporary to be honest. I think she, 
her look with her hair and her and, and yep. her clothes sometimes she looked a lot more and when i say contemporary i'm talking 1930 contemporary but right but but she looked contemporary compared to everybody else in, yeah. in the film she did a great job acting but i think for mm-hmm. some reason i don't know why but they didn't change her look I, you know i know i've heard that during the 30s and 40s a lot of times actors provided their own wardrobe you know it was their clothing that they were wearing in a lot of cases except when it was you know like a a uniform or like Carl Loth, obviously with his makeup and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was, if that's true or not in all cases, but I know like. I've heard that Humphrey Bogart, speaking of Maltese Falcon and stuff, you know, that was like his fedora and his suits and stuff that he wore in those things. Um, but yeah, the the wardrobe, because you see pe- the peasants and stuff too, and there's this, sometimes it's, it has almost a, like a medieval kind of thing, the, the whole uh, the watchtower where Frankenstein set up his laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, in the graveyard, this Grim Reaper statue and stuff. There's kind of these hints of like the medieval, but then yeah, you see like May Clark and think, oh yeah, it just looks like the 30s or something. So it is kind of this nebulous timeline, nebulous place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so back at the graveyard, they dig it, they dig up the body, and they show up close up of Clive, and he's like kind of almost hugging the casket, saying. He's just waiting to, or he's just waiting to wake up, or something like that. So, yep. but apparently, this body wasn't enough. They needed other parts to to make uh-huh. the monster. So they go off and find another kind of medieval contrivance. They find uh, a convict hanging from, I don't know if it's a gibbet, whatever you'd call it, but someone's hung and just swinging there. They didn't bury him. He's just left there to as a cautionary tale or whatever. Um, and they cut him down and Victor, or I'm sorry, Henry Frankenstein says that, Oh, his neck's broken. So his brain is no good. And I'm not sure why the corpse in the ground, why that brain's no good, but they have to find, now they have to find a brain. And this whole thing is from what I understand, a way to, introduce the idea of the abnormal criminal brain in the monster and why he's you know kind of goes off the deep end so to speak and and this like a couple places in this movie unfortunately this sounds bad and and i'll probably raise your ire by mentioning this but (laughs) after watching young frankenstein numerous times sometimes it's hard to 
because Young Frankenstein does such a Mel Brooks does such a great yeah. homage to this film. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he loved this film. There's no question right. about it. And mm-hmm. but you know the Abbey Normal Brain, and then yeah. like like the thing with Little Maria, where you, you're just waiting for you know the monster to turn to the camera and grin a little bit, right? Yeah, you know those scenes yeah. from Young Frankenstein, but but yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting that they do, and you know they make no bones about it. This is the bad brain, and the you know von Sloan you know explains to the the class look, you can see because it doesn't have the ridges or this and that, you know, these are right. the reasons. Yeah. Yep. And although why it, Igor, or I say not Igor, why Fritz <laughs> couldn't, why he kind of just picked the, the good brain up off the ground and right, put, it, right. put it in the other jar. I don't know. Yeah. But, it's the five second rule on the brain. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there, there was that, yeah, this bit of like comic relief too, where, uh, where he's making off with the good brain and, um, uh, some bell tolls or something that startles and he drops it and then mm-hmm. grabs the criminal brain instead. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, well, why couldn't he have <laughs> just slipped it back into the formaldehyde? And uh, right. And if it wasn't formaldehyde, right. So I think uh, just being on the ground is going to do anything, but, yeah. um, but now they have all their component parts to, uh, to make their monster. And I, there's, Throughout the movie, too, I mentioned a comic, the comic relief. There's these kind of scene changes from the the horrible macabre setting of you know of playing God and making this this creature and stuff interspaced with more idyllic moments, or with uh, the Baron, his uh, Frankenstein's mm-hmm. father, who's also a little bit comedic and not purposely so, but he's. He's a little absurd, and like you say, the this aristocratic, aristocratic kind of, mm-hmm. kind of this, attitude. Yeah, this movie's a lot like Dracula and the daughter Dracula, where I don't think anything. I mean, there are little things, kind of sort of comedic moments in this, like the brain part and all, but mm-hmm. really everything is played pretty straight in this movie. Yep. Where once we hit Bride, and we're not going to talk about Bride tonight, but once we hit Bride, there's definitely comedic elements put in there intentional yep. you know yep. comedic relief elements where this one i don't think they're trying to do that the, the no. other thing this has in common with dracula is the lack of a score yep. for the majority of the movie because at this point in movies they, they just didn't do scores or they didn't have the money to do do a score maybe yeah yeah this is very early in the talkie phase and stuff and there yeah so it, it does have a both Dracula and the first Frankenstein have a very different feel to them because of the lack of a score. It's, mm-hmm. it's that kind of almost menace or something that I, I don't know. There's a, there's a, a quality about it that sometimes the score can enhance a scene, but sometimes, sometimes it can take away. Like, so when we get to the creation, um, with the storm raging and stuff. I mean, that's the best score they could possibly have. I think is this, this thunder crashes and stuff and, and lightning and um, and the electrical machinery whirling. Yeah. So the machinery, maybe, you know, a gentleman named Kenneth Strickfadden made and designed all that stuff. He didn't actually, he was more like a contractor. He didn't actually work for universal. So those machines that he made, he kept. And, and so he set those up and they would use them in future films, but he kept those. And the heart mentioned young Frankenstein again, when they made that movie, he was mm-hmm. so alive and Mel Brooks tracked him down. And yeah. so the machines you're seeing in young Frankenstein, some of those 
are the exact same ones you see in this movie. <laughs> That's he, cool. They were in his garage. Yeah. His garage. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping to um, this October. I'm kind of hoping to watch like a monster movie every day or or try to. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to try and watch the the Frankenstein franchise. Then I was going to watch a couple of the Hammer Frankenstein's and Young Frankenstein's on my list mm-hmm. too for to watch those things but uh yeah that's that's cool um so in the intervening time between um the creation scene and um and the procurement of the body uh-huh. we're introduced to some of the other players and stuff and uh so and they they collectively have share their concerns about Henry's obsessions about, um, well, first the endeavor, just his closeting himself away in this deserted watchtower, which they inadvertently call a windmill kind of as a, a precursor, some kind of editing gaff or something in there. But, uh, but Elizabeth and Victor go to Waldman with okay. their concerns and Waldman, shares how Frankenstein while he was at in the university became kind of obsessed with these more uh, macabre and unsavory practices and was kind of lobbying to have human cadavers available to practice on and stuff rather than just like animals and stuff. Right. Um, so they, the three of them decide to go and pay a visit to to Frankenstein just to try and find out if he's okay and talk him out of this crazy well, scheme and stuff. Well, there's an intervention, right? I mean, in fact, yep. is what they're doing. Yep. Really? They're, they're going to because, but you know, Elizabeth wants to bring him back regardless, you yep. know, and, um, but, but of course they pick of all the nights they pick to get there. <laughs> right. Is the big night. Yep. And they're, uh, and Henry and Fritz have just gone through the rigmarole of setting up all the, they've, they've completed the making the body. They've got Karloff strapped to the table. You haven't seen Karloff. You've just seen him under the sheet and bandages on this, on this table. And they, they start up all the contraptions, sparks fly um, as a, in a test run. And meanwhile, the storm starts raging and, Henry says, oh, the, at the height of the storm in 15 minutes or so, we'll, we'll uh, bring him to life. And, and just then, boom, 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 someone's knocking on the door of the tower. And it's the, the trio come for the intervention. Yep. And at first they try and send them away. He sends Fritz down to, to shoo them away. But, uh, and he tries, but they are persistent and call out uh, Henry's name. And we realize it's, it's Elizabeth. They, they let let them in from the storm because they're you know obviously in some kind of distress in the this huge storm, and uh, he brings them up to the laboratory. And Victor says something, makes a comment of "You're mad," and of course Frankenstein is takes offense to that, and we'll see who's mad in the morning, and. So they they basically bear witness to the the creation scene. They uh, they raise car, the the monster up on uh, 
on this slab up above and uh, up above the roof with the storm raging. And I'm not really sure. <laughs> I guess it's there's more art to this uh, this than science because there's no like timer or any kind of. I, how does he know when when the monster's yeah, is, done? When he's when his his like internal thermometer pops up like a turkey or something? But they lower him back down, and then there's a close up of Karloff's hand, and it just starts, you know, wriggling just a tiny bit, and that's when. Colin Clive goes into it's alive, it's alive. Yep. He knows well, how we, yeah. God feels and stuff. So yeah. great performance by his, yep. you know, on his part. And mm-hmm. it's it really is a, a it's still today. One thing about this is they they've got the pacing better in this. Like we when we talked about Dracula, Dracula's still a great movie and still very watchable. But but I think this one and and because this has a little more expressionism or that's not the right word, it, it's filmed more like with expressionists, some of the ideals and some of the Dutch angles and like like the design of the you know the sets and things, yeah, even more so than what they do with Dracula. I think th- this one's a little more feels a little more even without the with the lack of soundtrack because I never miss a soundtrack in this movie. Like no. I don't, if if I don't actively think about it, I don't even notice it. There's no sound, you know, no music yeah. to it. Yeah. And I think this plays. You could put a modern viewer in front of this, and I think it would still keep their attention mm-hmm. pretty well. To, to be honest, so there are a lot of older movies that don't, but I, but I think yeah. this one still will. It it, yeah. it just it, it moves on with a pretty good clip the whole time. Mm-hmm. So the next big scene, I think, is probably just the the reveal of the monster, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, it's one of the all time classic reveals. It, it it's so good. Yeah, and it's techniques that I don't know if I've seen the those kind of techniques before. Where, so you you hear the monster coming initially, right? You hear you yep. hear the footsteps hear in the, the hallway, the, yep. and and they're they're keeping him in the dark, which they don't really explain why. But these turn off the lights, turn off the lights, mm-hmm. and the monster. He, the door opens and he backs into the room. Yeah. You know, and then the monster turns around and then we do, you know, it'd be a zoom shot today. Yeah. You know, a zoom, but, but, but this is like, I don't, I don't know what it would be is there. Um, but, but it they're jumps like, for their cut quick cut, cut shots, I guess, but it, but effectively zooms in one, the monster's face. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it's just very well done. It, it yep. really is. It is. And, uh, and then they, uh, Colin Clive has an obsession with making people sit in this. Yeah, <laughs> he yes, tells, he does. <laughs> he, he tells he tells the monster to sit, and he under uh, the monster you know has some rudimentary understanding of language. He, he doesn't have have the capability to vocalize himself, but he has an understanding. So he sits, and then they open up the the like skylight to slowly let in the sun and. Karloff has this moment where he's, you know, reaching up to the to heaven, almost like I've I've heard people say, almost like he's uh, imploring the Almighty to give him a soul or something, but uh, or looking on the face of God, you know. Mm-hmm. In this whole, I, I was like, going to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I've heard on the. I I did I didn't watch all the film commentaries. I zipped forward to this spot to see what they said about this spot. You know, one of the film commentaries said, "Oh, there's good light and bad light. The torches being bad light, and the sunlight being good light." But mm-hmm. but there's more to it than that. And I 
I, I, I didn't know if you'd read any the, the that's interesting the idea of reach towards God for a soul but mm-hmm. obviously there's symbology going on here there's a reason yep. he's re, you know re- reaching up like that yeah I'd love to read a I'll to keep researching that I'd love to read an actual what they were thinking you know when, when they yeah. read that scene yeah yeah that would be really interesting to to kind of have a I don't know some kind of insight into who made the decisions on some of these things and what what the ideas behind them were yeah because Henry um, shuts them right down he's oh no it's you know okay shut the shut the skylight now sit down now that's enough yep. you've yep. had enough and, and this is where Carlos acting is so great because you see his face and he's crestfallen his hands are shaking you know reaching mm-hmm. out reaching out yep. like please can, can yep. I have more and it's yep. so good yeah yeah Karloff is uh, really good on this um so then uh what well, if Fritz, oh, comes, in so with Fritz comes in with a torch yeah. so that's that's the beginning of the end yeah so yeah the bad light i guess um, but, well but but here we finally get an answer long-term listeners to down in the heap know that we've gone in the past there's been a ra- this rabbit hole about the origin of the judo chop <laughs> and, and and the question about where did this start because we see cannon using the judo chop and and we yes. went back to World War II, but now we see that really that, that this is learned by by professors <laughs> at universities in Eastern Europe because because Van Sloan takes the monster out with the takes, judo chop. Takes him down. <laughs> the, the monster's yes. going crazy. He's throwing people around. Van Sloan gets behind him and just whack judo chop yep. right to the back of the neck and takes him right down. Yep. Down in a heap. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so then they... Uh, because the monsters popped a bolt, uh, they've they have to chain him up in the in the dungeon. Because what else yep. do you do with a monster, right? Yep. So he's he's chained up there, and the uh, sadistic Fritz is very uh, very happy to torment the monster, uh, awesome. not only with a whip but with a, with a torch, and uh, the monsters quite pitiable in this you you have kind of a a definite empathy for the monster um as this you know as fritz um you know i don't know so fritz is played as a as a hunchback um i think they call him a dwarf in 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 the script the early script they called him a dwarf i know yeah i don't know he's got the little miniature cane yeah yeah he does and which yeah the scene where where the intervention party shows up and, and and he's because initially he doesn't let him in he opens yep. the little slit in the door and says go away and then he yep. but when when elizabeth calls to victor victor comes down the stairs but when he get yeah when he goes back up the stairs or he has a little cane and he stops and he he pulls the sock pulls up, up. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's going up <laughs> what do you I, think what what do you think fritz motives are to being the the assistant i mean is it just the it's his meal tickets or I, I mean, yeah, maybe, what do you think I mean, he got paid? <laughs> what, yeah, maybe he got paid and he got to torture things, I guess. He, you know, Victor yeah. obviously let him do break. Th- I mean, the implication, even Van Sloan's imp- implication, is that Vic, that Henry, the Frankenstein, wanted to uh, almost to, to get live bodies and he didn't care where, they, or, you know, new fresh bodies and didn't care where they came from. And obviously, yeah. we see the first, when we hit, go to bride we see this actually we actually see yeah. on film the realization yeah. of that how far they're willing to go but yeah. um yeah i don't know but you know the funny thing or not the funny thing but 
this the fitting thing is the way that the Fritz goes out and, and we talk about the symbology and and all that in there we go back to your your gibbet your you know your hangman yep yep because he he goes too far and yep. uh, they uh up in the laboratory Waldman, who's now kind of assisting or at least hanging around the tower with frankenstein they hear uh, a horrible shrieking and come down and find the monster kind of um almost in a sedate kind of state uh, almost like childish or something like he knows he's done something wrong but uh mm-hmm. and yeah he's he's throttled uh fritz and hung him up i don't know if he's like i don't know some kind of meat hook or something or if he's actually hanging or what yeah well, you, you just, just see him see in silhouette. silhouette yeah yep you oh. just see a silhouette of him hanging there so fritz is kaput right and uh and then Henry basically just kind of has a breakdown then, right? Well, and, well um, they, so the monster oh, the, breaks that's out. That's right. He's loose. That's right. That's and, right. I forgot about and, that. and they fight. They fight they, they're able to sedate him. They're really heavy sedative. Yep. And, and, of course, this just happens to be, coincidentally, the time Baron Frankenstein shows up because he thinks that Henry's got another woman and he's cheating on Elizabeth. Right. And Yep. Um, but they, yep. so they, Victor comes in. Victor helps him drag the monster back in the in the cell before yep. the the Baron before gets they inside. let his father in. Yep. Yeah. And by the time they get upstairs, they send Henry upstairs to wash the blood off. I don't know if he ha- he has blood. I think he has blood from where the monster hit him. He's mm-hmm. I think he was, had blood out of his coming out of his mouth. But he went upstairs to wash the blood off. And when they get up there, he has that nervous breakdown. Yep. Yeah. And then so Waldman says he'll take care of the monster for him or whatever. So, so Waldman straps Karloff, the monster, the table. He's going to dissect him. I don't know why he just doesn't kill him to, to begin with, but he, he wants him for alive for some reason. And of course, Karloff, the monster comes to in the process and, uh, you see his, you see his eyes flutter and stuff. And then, uh, uh, Waldman's bending over him to make an incision or something, and Karloff's arm comes around and grabs him by the back of the neck. So he, uh, yes, he he throttles Waldman and then lurches down the stairs of the watchtower, comes to the door, and doesn't really seem to know how it works. Which, you know, you also see that when he walks in backwards that in the entry scene. But then he gets out and uh, he's loose in the countryside. And we have the scene um, with Frankenstein basically recovering now at, at his home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the care of Elizabeth. So we have one of these idyllic scenes and they're planning their wedding. Right. And the monster uh, is meanwhile wandering on the countryside and comes across a farmstead. And it's the the setup where the little girl is um is this am i getting ahead of myself no Mm. i don't think so yeah so the 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 girl's father is going to town for the wedding and well well, he's going to check his traps he's a right he's a woodsman and hunter and then they're they're going to go to the wedding after he checks all that stuff yeah she, she has her cat and she asks him to play with her and he says no yep. play i can't play with you play with the cat 
and yep. and then the monster shows up and the monster the monster yeah. shows up and uh, and she's uh not for once someone's not afraid of the monster he finds mm-hmm. uh a friendly soul and he sits down and plays with her there they have flowers and they're start flinging them into the lake right next to them and um Karloff, the, the monster, is uh, um, overjoyed at this, seeing these flowers float and stuff. And when he runs out of flowers, naturally, he wants to see if the girl floats or something and flings her into the lake. Yep. And then, it, you know, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, we were probably going to go to the same place here. So, uh, it, uh, interestingly enough, this makeup that we talk about is so great. It, it unnerved people enough. He wasn't allowed to eat in the cafeteria there at the Universal set because it unnerved yeah. people. And it, it actually, you know, scared people, I guess. Or, you know, it, but mm-hmm. this little girl and they were really worried when the actress that played little Maria first met him because they're worried she'd be terrified of him. But apparently she ran up to him and just took his hand right away. And it was like because they had to drive away from the set out in the country to film that scene. And she asked yeah. if she could ride with him and. Yep. And, and all that. So, yeah, interesting enough, she, you know, the, the actress wasn't afraid of me. There were adults, you know, which right. kind of goes back a little bit of segue. I don't know. You've read, listened to commentaries and read some books related to this. There, you know, they're the stories that people passed out watching this movie, you know, and this has that famous opening where, where you know, the guy comes out of the curtain in the very beginning yeah, and, Sloan, yeah. and gives the warning, right? Yep. Um, and and we we've heard this on other you know more contemporary like The Exorcist, their stories. You can watch news report. You can find them on and go watch YouTube. You can watch news stories of people passing out and throwing up during The Exorcist, right? Yeah. And but supposedly people passed out during this. I don't know if that if they did or if that was publicity. Something Universal pulled. But yep. fr- from everything I can tell, that people some people probably actually did. Yeah. Like, and uh, like the- legitimately did pass out during this. Yeah, and, and this scene of the little girl getting thrown in the lake too. This I mean even though we're kind of like pre-code, um, mm-hmm. there were still regional censor, censorships and stuff. So this did get edited out um, in some of the areas, the scene, as did the the whole Colin Clive thing, talking about playing God and stuff. Right. All right. Now what it, I know what it's like to be God and stuff. So, yeah. And it, so I read a book where um, the author interviewed this actress that played little Maria. And apparently she was kind of a child actress. Her mother was, according to this person, her, I think, actually, I think it was her stepmother, um, was, a, you know, a, a theater mom or whatever was kind of riding in the coattails of the, the proceeds of this little girl. And she was kept, uh, on a continual diet so she was always hungry Mm. and when they first threw her in the lake she had so much you know petticoats and all these 
the costume just didn't permit her to to swim underwater out to the some rowboats just out of camera um so she couldn't actually go underwater so they they had to throw her in again so they had to wait for her to dry off and stuff and and james whale apparently to kind of try and coax the kid to do it again so i'll i'll give you anything you want if we you know can film this scene again and she said that she wanted a dozen hard-boiled eggs <laughs> and her stepmother was so angry with her that she didn't ask for something valuable right james whale apparently gave her two dozen hard-boiled eggs to <laughs> to, to re- retake the scene wow <laughs> but, but it gives you an idea that the difference in the times right that's, mm-hmm. that's yep. yeah so where what well, well so what do we see so, then so, so the after, monsters thrown her so prior to that or right around that same time we're seeing all the preps because we're cutting back and forth we're, yep. we're seeing the wedding preps are going on we cut back back and forth and, and you know we see the baron goes out on his you know he tells everybody oh as long as they have beer they're happy you know and there's enough beer mm-hmm. for everybody and and he, he's giving champagne to the servants and and yep. and everybody's happy and then i i well there's two things that happen now you have I guess the next thing is Elizabeth's premonition, probably, right. right? Yeah. So she she comes to Victor before the wedding, you know, in her dress, and, and tells him we need to talk. You know, uh, you, you may have seen this more recently than I have, but effectively she has this premonition that something bad's going to happen and come between them. Yep. I, I don't remember her exact words, but no, it's, she yeah she it's it's essentially that she just has this feeling of dread. And, um, and of course, um, you know who it is, um, the, so the, the wedding is going on. Um, it's, it's shortly after, um, I think it's before the premonition scene that, that the, what's the father's of the little girl of Maria's. Oh, he, well, he doesn't show up till after the monster comes in the house i don't think um ludwig is, is the, a, the actor is michael mark okay I, it's around the same time but because she has a premonition yeah and then they hear the noise yep they hear that some and they jump to the conclusion that the monsters in come and it's right, in the and house yeah so victor locks her in the bedroom yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. Victor, really, henry really locks moved. her in the bedroom yep because there is a victor but different yeah who Vic, yeah, which is that, victor is the man of honor Right. Yep. right. Yes. Or best man. I'm sorry. He's the best, best man. man. Yep. And uh, but anyway, so they're running around the house looking for the monster. The monster, of course, goes in the bedroom where Elizabeth is. She screams, and they all run back down there. Henry has to mm-hmm. unlock the door. The monster runs out. Um, there, there's all, all this because I think there are there already all the people are already there in front of the Burgomeister when Maria's father walks up with the child. Yeah, with, with Maria, you know, he's like mm-hmm. she's drowned. He's like, well, why did you bring her to me? No, she's been murdered. And right now, how they know the monster did it, I, I, I don't know if that's ever answered. Yeah, they just seem happy to blame everything on the monster. But yeah. again, poor Maria, the, the little actress. It's quite an extended scene where the father's uh-huh. walking through the the streets with this little girl, and and she's just you know playing it like a trooper 
she's just lying limp in his arms with her head lolling back and her legs splayed out and stuff. It must have been pretty painful for this little kid. Right. And who knows how many takes they did on it. Well, um, you know, it's interesting you say that. And maybe we'll hit this later. But I don't know if Whale had a, a sadistic streak him or what. It sounds like he did <laughs> because he did something similar here at the end of the movie, but I guess maybe yep. we'll hold that for the, for the finale. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. the So the monster has, uh, and, and, and just before we pick it up again, your point about people being unsettled by the makeup of, of the monster, even may Clark, the actress was apprehensive around Karloff like that to the point where she was, you know, kind of jokingly saying that I won't need to act to, to, to be frightened when, when Karloff is, you know, in her boudoir, like trying to attack her. And Boris said, I'll just wiggle my little, oh, little yeah, finger. I remember that story. Yeah, so, that's right. So, you know, it's me. <laughs> and apparently I, I, I didn't even think to look for that last time I watched. I don't know if you can actually see him doing it or not. Yeah. I'll, I should, I'll watch for that too. And the next time I watch yeah. it. But uh, yeah, I've, I've, I remember hearing that, that, yeah, cause it's just me, but it, it's still, it's, I, I mean, it's weird. You think about nowadays, I mean, obviously we're very callous and this is Jaded. almost, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're almost hundred years after this, but it's 90 years. Yeah. 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 yeah it's 90 years this year. You're right. Yeah. And, um, but ju- just the idea of somebody in that makeup would really scare somebody when you know, it's right. You know who it is, you know, it's just makeup, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, the monster hasn't killed Elizabeth. He's just given her quite a shock, and she's swooned and and fainted on the on the divan or something. And uh, but she's out of sorts, and they have to delay the the wedding. And um, when the death of the little girl comes about, then now now it's business time. We need to hunt down the monster. So it's right. This, here we go. Is this the first entrance of instance of like bringing out the pitchforks and the torches and hunting down the monster? Or is this, uh, or were there scenes in other movies like that? I want to say it's not, but it might be, I don't might be the first talkie that has it. It may be the first talkie that has it. I don't, I don't remember. Um, I'm not very it well. Maybe it's the first the silent. Yeah, era, I think so. it's the first Universal film that does it. I'm trying to think if there's any scenes. It's been a long time since I've seen Phantom of the Opera. Is yeah. there any scene like at the end of Phantom? I don't remember. Or Hunch it. or Hunchback, maybe. Yeah, see, I, I just don't. It's been too long since I've seen those. I don't remember. Yeah. But it, it's definitely the first of this series where we see it. Yeah, you know we will see it again in in other ones, but this is the first time. Yeah, we, we this, see it, it becomes it becomes one of the tropes of the Universal monster yeah. movies, with especially in the Frankenstein movies of right. the the torch wielding mob hunting mm-hmm. down the monster. But and Frankenstein and the Burgomaster and um, um, well, Maria's father leads one mob. Yeah, Maria's the Burgomaster father, right. leads one, and Frank and. Fr- and Henry Frankenstein leads one, but yep. mind you, one thing Henry Frankenstein never does in this whole movie is take, you know, accept blame for. I mean, he he emits blame personally. You hear him, you know, you hear him say "poor Fritz" or or right. this or that, but he never publicly emits 
right. what he's done or never, you never hear him telling, but well, I guess maybe he tells Van Sloan, but I, I, he never tells anybody else that the, we, yeah, the villagers don't make any connection between the monster and Frankenstein. No. And, and cause the monsters never called Frankenstein this movie. Whenever they say Frankenstein, right. they're talking about Henry. They're talking about the man, yep. the son of the Baron. Yeah. It's the it's, whole time. It's uh, after this, that, it's confounded where the monster becomes Frankenstein or whatever. So, right. Or Frankenberry. If, uh... That's right. <laughs> yeah. Rob's holding up his, his box of Frankenberry. Yeah, box, box of Frankenberry. I, oh, I wish I could have some. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the, the hunting parties uh, go off into the night to uh, hunt down the monster. And uh, uh, Frankenstein is leading the, the group into the hills and mountains and there's some nice uh uh what are the those back screen like oh the um, matte paintings and matte paintings and stuff yeah so there's some um pretty cool visuals and stuff so it's it's a pretty cool night scene that they Mm -hmm. that they pull off these movies all do a really great job of mixing the the, the actual sets and the matte paintings in the background and the yeah. I think it's really this one is really effective a couple of them there but but like the windmill the windmill isn't all practical you yep. know in, in some of these things but it, they look really good yep they, they really do the fact it's black yep. and white no doubt helps but it but it right. you know really does right. look good and the watchtower is pretty evocative too and stuff but yes oh yeah so Frankenstein the monster is uh lying in wait and he uh i think he first uh, he kills somebody before he meets henry yeah he they, come, well, they come across the guy yeah he's not dead yet yeah. when they come across him yeah and then he is uh somehow frankenstein gets separated from the rest of his party he's trying to right. beckon them to come and follow him but they go off following where the dog is leading them and Frankenstein is lying in wait and they uh, have a little bit of a melee and it's clear that Frankenstein is a zero level character and uh, the monster is uh, a six or seven hit die creature and (laughs) takes out Frankenstein pretty quickly. That's right. Frankenstein doesn't know the judo shop. He should have. He he, he left the university before he learned that. That That was the master course. That's right. But this takes us to that scene where we talk about whether whale was, you know, kind of a sadist. Yep. I, so you have the scene of of Karloff as the monster carrying Victor up these stairs, or carry Henry. Henry, yeah. <laughs> his heart. But yeah, he's carrying him up the stairs. But I, I've heard or I've read that he made Karloff do that up to a dozen times. Yep. And, and this may be the actual, the final thing that. I mean, it sounds cliche, but broke his back, but. I mean, you know, actually did do the the real bad damage to Carlos Spine where he had to yeah. get that so he, surgery. Yeah he, yeah, he was actually carrying. They didn't have a stuntman or anything, even though they could have, uh, where they showed the monster carrying Clive, or they could have had a dummy, you know, in, in the in the long shot where right. the monster's carrying up the hillside to the, the windmill. But no, uh, um, Whale insisted. And I forgot to mention something that draws these things two scenes together so in the interim when they were uh trying to persuade well they were waiting for the costume to dry out and stuff and persuading 
Maria, the actress that played Maria, to jump to go in the lake again. Karloff was leading a little bit of a revolt, saying, well, why does the monster even need to kill her? Maybe we should redo the scene. And Whale was very upset with this. And it was also kind of... um, uh, Karloff, by this time, had become quite popular on the set, too. And it's the author of this book I was reading um, has kind of makes this a sum or makes this connection where he, he feels like whale was becoming quite jealous of Karloff. I've heard that. I've also heard, and I have no idea how valid any of these rumors are. Right. I've heard that rumor. I've heard the rumor that they at one time were lovers and whale was jealous Karloff for that reason. And again, mm-hmm. I, I don't know because I haven't read any biographies yeah. of either. I, I haven't even watched. I guess I need to. They did the movie with I think, who was it? Ian. Um, yeah, Ian McKellen. McKellen God's was Monsters. in it. Guides of Monsters. I haven't seen yeah. those. I, I've heard yeah, that's pretty good. good. But, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good movie. It's definitely worth watching. Um, I don't have to do that. They don't really dig into any of that. Yeah. That I can. I mean, they, they definitely make a. You know, there's a lot of reference to the movie Frankenstein, but it's. Um, it focuses more on the relationship or the just whale's life at that time and his relationship with this gardener played by Brendan Fraser. Okay. The guy from the mummy movies. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the new mummy movies. Right. Um, but, but for some reason, mm-hmm. whale seems to have had it out for Karloff. Right. And, and he made him redo that. And, and he was wearing the full make. So, you know, each boots 13 pounds. He's got these stiffeners he's carrying. Yep. You know, um, Clive Colin Clive, who's he- who's a bigger, heavier man than Karloff yep. is. So yep. he's got all this stuff on. Plus, he's carrying a heavier guy than him up these stairs. Yep. You know, a dozen up to a dozen times. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, and maybe all this, his mistreatment on this this film, is part of the reason why Karloff was quite an activist in joint in forming the street, Screen Actors Guild. Well, yeah, he was, was a founding member. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but so the, the monster brings, um, uh, Frankenstein into this mill trying to escape the mob, uh, Frankenstein comes to as as the monster is kind of railing against the the mob out a window and stuff, and they have that one scene like you were saying where they they show the the mechanism of the windmill uh-huh. uh, grinding or whatever, and so it's this uh, kaleidoscope almost effect separating the two the monster and whale. And they have a couple close ups of them, um, but uh, I. Th- I think Frankenstein gets knocked out again, right? And he, uh, he, yeah, he does. Well, he, yeah, because he tries to crawl away. They tussle. I think yeah. he gets knocked. Although he's conscious there at the end, he he might get knocked out for a minute there. But they end yeah. up fighting out on the outside of the windmill. Yeah, effectively, where people can see them, the crowd can, yep. below can see them. And he and he picks them up. Uh, fireman carry airplane spin. Yeah, body to belly to belly suplex. No, that doesn't happen. But he does throw them off the balcony onto the sails of the uh of the windmill right and it's clearly a dummy but uh he's but he just kind of lands on the sail and then 
then slides off and then the, the mob goes crazy and lights the windmill on fire and um, well, it catches pretty quickly but it, it does and it's a really effective scene the mm-hmm. the terror Karloff shows of being trapped in the spurning windmill you and yeah by this time he's killed and and you know regardless of your feelings of the monster even if he but it, it's hard not to feel bad for this for him at that point yeah because Karloff really portrays the terror and, and you see him running back and forth and trying to find a way out then he gets trapped under a beam and Yep. It, it, it's a, it's a really even today it's it's a really moving scene it's very well done. It is. It is. And uh and that was supposed to be the end of the the film. But, it, it was. Yeah. But there was kind of a change of heart about making a happier ending. So even though it looked like Frankenstein was was dead and even Colin Clive thought his character was dead but they did, they filmed um, a sequence afterwards where they right. in a, in a long shot they don't even have May Clark and Colin Clive in uh-huh. the scene that they, they have two actors in the background but it's not them and it's just uh, the Baron and uh, some of the his staff toasting the health of uh, the future son of Frankenstein right yeah to yeah the um which is so yeah because originally it was but yeah um well yeah the toast is here's to a son yeah here's to a son to the house of frankenstein which mm-hmm. obviously could be you know have double meanings right the mm-hmm. um because the studio probably knew they had a hit by this time mm-hmm. but you're right when they filmed it it was that way definitely and then during pre-screenings because the feedback they got they decided to add that and they added the intro with Van Sloan also. Yeah. That was also yep. filmed afterwards. Yep. Those two mm-hmm. were, were add-ons, um, which I think was was smart on their part. Yeah. Like, and it uh, it was released to much acclaim. It you know it became a overnight box you know office smash. They I think it opened in the Midwest and like Detroit and. Um, I can't remember if it was Chicago, but it didn't play on the coast until several weeks after that because they were didn't want the critics to you know potentially savage it before <laughs> right. before it got some uh, some revenue or something. But uh, but it was yeah, it, Karloff was acclaimed as kind of the next Lon Chaney, um, mm-hmm. and uh, which I think uh, wasn't uh, Bella Lugosi kind of. He was the star and had refused the role of Frankenstein. And now Karloff becomes the universal star. Right. And Karloff keeps that. Cause even though we see Bela Lugosi and other things, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he ever, you know, aside from, well, let joking aside, I was going to make a, a joke and I brain fart. What, what, what's the what, what's a magician he plays in the serials? Oh, he wears the um, turban and he's the, you know, he's like a like a like a mystic. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm all gone. I'll, I'll think of it here in a minute. Yeah, but, I can't remember it. I, but 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 honestly, Dracula's um, Belagosi's high point, right? Yep. Really. Yep. Where Karloff and and this is Karloff's high point probably, but. Karloff was still given many more leading roles and many right. more major roles 
and right. Lugosi was. In fact, Lugosi later on did play the monster. Because yep. Karloff would only play the monster. Did he only play in the bra? I think he stopped playing the monster pretty quickly. I think the bride, he might've only played it twice. Yeah. I think um, it was just the, I think it was just the bride. Yeah. And then, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. Filled in and Glenn Strange. Glenn filled Strange. In, yeah. And, and, and Lugosi. Lugosi at one point. Yeah. But yeah. Lugosi really, Dracula was his prime. Yeah. Which, which, um, Shantou, darn it. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, but, but, but the, but yeah, it's interesting that, um, between this and, and Dracula, the you know these are the two prototypes. These built the House of Universal right? or the, the the horror films because because the success of these two, they kept on going. Mm-hmm. You, you know, but definitely. And some people, a lot of critics feel that Bride is the better movie than than the original Frankenstein. Right, and which is something I, we'll I discuss see, next yeah. time, I guess. But yep. yeah, I. I, I don't know that that we'll have that discussion next time because I think there's um there are good things and and then you have the, the forced humor and some other things as well. Yep. So I I don't know if it's I can think of one character if they had removed from Bride of Frankenstein, then it would probably be superior for me. But Karloff becomes uh, becomes uh, Karloff like you see these movie posters. I've got some. And he he's like a one name, right? Well, you know, yeah. In he's Bride, he's billed as Karloff. Yep. In 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 the Bride, he's act, actually is he's billed as just Karloff. Yep. And um, he's billed as like Karloff the Uncanny, and uh, right, much like Lon Chaney was the man of you know a thousand faces. And well, well, and you look at that like we we talk about their later years, but Karloff, I mean, he went on to do TV. He, yep. I mean, even you know, I mentioned the Corman movie. But he was in Corman movies. He was in The Raven. He mm-hmm. was, in, you know, he was in a number of those those kind of things, you know. Um, so I think um, he did some movies Chan- for RKO too. Yeah, yeah, he did a bunch. Chandu the the magician, or right. Chandu the magician. That's, right. That's yeah. I can't. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I had to go down right. that. I I will warn you before we get, we next time we meet and we do the bride and talk about that that Una O'Connor. Is a vote is a nineteenth uh, out of all time. You know O'Connor, who plays Minnie, is the nineteenth m- most beloved actor from Ireland. After actress <laughs> from Ireland, so, so I'll, I'll warn you before you Ooh, call okay. her out as your least favorite part of that. All movie. right, uh, to all my Irish listeners, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of knew you were going to go there, so I figured I'd mention. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that you picked up on. Who I'd, uh, I'd have yeah. a problem with, right. but yeah, that's, so that's Frankenstein, um, possibly the best Universal monster movie. I I mm. have a real soft spot for the Mummy too. Those are my two favorites, and Bride is right there with it. But uh, yeah, it's hard to say because you, you know the they all had their high points, right? Because the, yeah. the Wolfman too is so iconic, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't. You know, and and even the the Invisible Man, although it doesn't stand up with these, when you think about the special effects, yeah. but when in the Invisible Man, when he takes off those bandages the first time, and yeah. you see through him, and you're thinking it's a movie in the 30s, right? And this, and it works. The special effects yeah. just work in that movie, you know. And, and Claude Rains was great in it. So yeah, and and you you talk about well, these are monsters. I mean, 
the Invisible Man's a mass murderer. He kills yeah. like over a hundred people in that movie. <laughs> well, if you add up all the people on the train, he derails. But yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, for, say Frankenstein because even as a little kid, I used to watch. I, he's probably my favorite. But I like all these movies. I I really do. I do too. And even the creature with like the underwater sequence, even though the creatures later, right? Because that was what fifties yep, in the fifties, yeah, 54, yeah. But yeah, the underwater sequences and just some great things. Yeah. Not to mention Julia Adams, and, uh, you know. Right. Well, we'll talk about recastings fine. because the um, they recasted a number of roles for Bride. So when we hit that, you know, we can yep. we, we can hit that. One thing we didn't talk about, um, maybe. Well, we'll save this for Bride. I, I think it'd be better. So, so I, won't, I was going to bring something up, but I'll, I'll I'll make you wait. All right. Yeah. I, I, we'll th- keep, I think it's yeah. I think it's we'll better. Keep to wait the audience on the edge of their seats. That's right. I, um, I will say that some of these other people we saw, though, like the Burgermeister here, we won't see him again in Bride, but we will see him again in other roles in both Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein. Okay. The the actor that played the Burgermeister. Um, yeah, they definitely had kind of a troop of actors that kind of were interchangeable parts throughout uh, each individual franchise. And as there was crossover between these franchises and the houses, house movies and stuff. And uh, I mean, there's there's fodder here for you. Um, you could do a lot worse with your October than sitting down and watching a bunch of Universal Monster movies. I know that's something I plan on doing this October. And uh, in fact, I was thinking about as a possible, um, especially with the other movies, you know, the, the, the cheesy sequels, the, Uh so there's a list universal monster movies, and then there's the B list. And then it's, it's almost like there isn't a C list. They're just (laughs) drops the D. Well, well, it depends where you, where you put, because when we talked about doing this before, you know, we had each franchise, then we had, the team up movies because this was a shared universe before Marvel right. ever made a movie. You because House and well the two House movies, they're team up movies. Yeah, and then you have the Abbott Costello movies, which I you know you know what I heard yesterday. I was listening to a podcast about this, and or it wasn't about this, but it was a horror podcast. But do you know do you know what famous singer was inspired and started their singing career? Because they watched Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Um, Alice Cooper. Jerry Garcia. <laughs> Jerry Garcia, really? <laughs> Jerry Garcia. And, and I haven't independently researched. I'm just assuming this podcaster is being honest to what they said. I, I have not independently researched this, but apparently Jerry Garcia said he saw Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And because, you know, this wacky combo was done, yeah. it made him believe that anything was possible. And that seriously influenced the music of the Grateful if, Dead. I wonder if he was baked when he was watching uh, Abbott and Costello. Oh, well, I yeah. mean, it's Jerry Garcia, so he probably, unless he was like ten years old when he saw it, he probably was. Yeah, I, I don't know, but but it, it but you know, the Grateful Dead was inspired in, in a way. Jerry Garcia was inspired. That's by awesome. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. But but you think about these things, you know that. Yeah, some of them are definitely D list, and, and when you get to the House movies and the later like. Invisible Man sequels and 
mummy sequels. And the mummy, the mummy and, well, even the Frankenstein ones. Yeah. yeah. They, they get pretty bad. The house ones, the team-up ones, are, eh, they're okay. I think the Abbott Costello ones are actually a higher caliber because they're still funny to me, at least. I, I, still, yeah. I still find a lot of them. Yeah. The joke's funny. And much as I like the creature from the Black Lagoon, the two sequels. Oh, they're horrible. Bad. <laughs> In fact, one of them was done in Mystery Science Theater. So, uh, yeah, they're. <laughs> but, they're but yeah, you could, do, you could definitely do worse than watching the universe, rewatching these movies yeah. or watch them for the first time if you haven't seen them. And then yep. next year, move on to the Hammer movies. The Hammer movies are, but you wouldn't have the Hammer horror movies without these. Right. Right. Well, and I, you maybe wouldn't have horror movies without, well, something would have cro- cropped up. I mean, right, because the foundation had obviously this. been laid. Yeah. 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 The cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, uh, yeah, Vampire. And, um, yeah. The, yeah. They're, they're Nosferatu. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hexen. So this, um, yeah. So the, there was obviously the ground groundwork had been laid, but these really kind of took it to another level and, and not just because it was, you know, sound now, but, but it, they became a sensation. Well, I suppose just because of technology, just like we see now with things uh, blowing up on YouTube or whatever, right. or, you know, nerds, RPG variety casts. So uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, uh, it's been, uh, it's been great talking to you about uh, Universal Monsters again. I look forward to our next chat about Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone has some time in October uh, to uh, to visit some of these old movies. If you're not going to watch this, yeah, watch some Hammer movies or watch uh, The Night Stalker. You know, there's a lot of old classic horror movies out there that are just outstanding. So. Thanks again for joining me tonight, uh, Jason. I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Appreciate being here. Yep, and until we talk to you again, don't go down in a heap.